We continue uh, in our four-part series of four weeks as we begin this new year. Before we get back into the book of Ephesians, we'll get back there eventually. And now it seems like a long time since we've been in Ephesians, but we'll get back there. So we are doing four-part series, and we will be this today in Isaiah 55. We heard that already um, read for us this morning, but the theme is the conduits of God's grace, those avenues of God's grace where he, he pours out his goodness upon us, those different ways that he has chosen to show us his kindness. And they're connected as well with some of our core commitments as a church. Now, as a church, our mission is the mission that the church has had since the beginning, that we want to worship our God, glorify our God, by making joyful, passionate disciples. Making disciples, and we do that through these different ways. As our poster here reminds us that we first we worship God passionately. And we talked about that. It's the avenue of God's goodness. Our worship to Him as we know Him more, as we get to lift Him up. Um, also that we talked last week about connecting. We connect, not just connect, but care for one another authentically. The church, the local church, is an avenue of God's kindness and His grace. And then uh, today we're talking about growing to know God deeply. We grow to know and love Him deeply. He gives us ways of through His Word and through prayer and even through the church in these different ways. He wants to be in relationship with us. And He continues to pour out His kindness and His grace. Now, this week I was reading another book. And it's called Delighting in the Trinity. And it's by Michael Reeves. And if you want to, just a book this year that you're like, I want to read just one book. Uh, I'd encourage if you're going to read just one, I'd read that book, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Uh, but um, I'm not, not profiting from that at all, but it's a really good book. So I was coming, it was re- talking about grace. And I thought, this is exactly something that I needed to hear. And he talking about how often we describe grace in different ways. We describe it, we could make grace sound like stuff that God gives us. But the word grace really is shorthand, a shorthand way of speaking about the personal and loving kindness of which God, ultimately God gives himself to us. So grace is shorthand for the personal and loving kindness out of which God ultimately gives himself to us. And really his grace, those avenues of his grace is the Lord giving himself to us in different ways that we might know him, which fits perfectly as we are studying today about knowing and loving our God. So today we're in Isaiah 55. Since this is kind of a standalone sermon in one passage, we always need to look in Isaiah. What does Isaiah, what is it about? What is this book about? So Isaiah is a prophet from the Old Testament. In Isaiah, he calls God, he was called by God to bring this message to the people of God, to those, especially in Judah. And he brings this word of judgment. A word of judgment and the, a call to repentance. The people had strayed from God. And he says, judgment's coming, but repent, turn back to God. But he also sees that the people, for the most part, reject his message. But he brings these words of judgment. And really, if you look at the first half of Isaiah, a lot of that is about this, this judgment that's going to come. But in the midst of it as well, there's also words of hope that are sprinkled throughout so it's often we see in the Old Testament, the prophets, that there's judgment, but then it's coupled with hope, with lots of hope that is brought into those things. So we have judgment and hope, and that's what we have throughout the book of Isaiah, and that there's this call for judgment, but there's great hope because God wants to refine, He wants to purify, He wants to bring about a new Jerusalem. 
He wants to bring about salvation and redemption. Uh, it wants to bring about restoration. So the Lord, even in the first half of Isaiah, we see the Lord calls one who's going to be a Messiah, a Savior King. One who is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. One who's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if you remember, a lot of times in Christmas we go to those passages because they point us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the hope for not just Israel, but for all peoples of all nations. So that begins in there. So there's judgment, but then there's hope. And then the second half of Isaiah, starting in chapter 40 on, it's a book about hope and hope for the people. And we see also in those that we see that there is going to be this one who is a man of sorrows, who arrives, who's that Messiah King, who's a servant, a suffering servant, one who's willing to die, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be healed, that we might be ushered into a right relationship with God, ushered into the kingdom of God uh, for all eternity. So this is Isaiah, message of that of hope, um, judgment, but hope. And that kind of brings us in closer to our passage today in chapter 55. And yet in 54, there's continued hope of, of that because of the suffering servant, this one who dies for our sins, that redemption, restoration comes and doesn't just stop with Israel, but spreads throughout all the earth. And there's words of compassion, words of a covenant of peace and the Lord's restoration. Let me just look at a couple verses. Isaiah 54, verse 7 and 8. You have verse 7. For a brief moment, it says, God says, For a brief moment I deserted you. Just a brief moment, but with great compassion I will gather you. So that's great hope. He said, For a moment there was judgment, but I'm going to gather you with great compassion. The verse 8. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So we see this picture. Yes, judgment for a moment, anger for a moment, but everlasting love for all eternity I'm ready to pour out for you. And then that brings us into chapter 55 where it's this invitation. This invitation by God to come to the Lord God and find life, to find Hope to find satisfaction, a, a quenching of our thirst. Everlasting, this everlasting covenant of the Lord's grace poured out. And this invitation comes. So that's where we're going to jump in and we see this invitation in verse 1. We have an invitation to really to know God and find life. So verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So an invitation comes. Maybe in your translation, that word come, it says, hey or ho. So like there's this great call of attention. Hey, you, everyone, if you're thirsty, if you're needing water, come get water. Even if you don't have money, come and buy. Come and drink, everyone. The, you don't have money? It's free. It's kind of a contradiction. Come, don't have money, come and buy. It's kind of like saying, there's no price tag here. Or maybe better said, the price has already been paid. The suffering servant, he's paid the price. Come and drink water. Not just drink water, doesn't stop there, but milk and wine. There's, 
There's a richness. He's saying, come and, and drink deeply of all that God has. And it's free. It's paid for already. Think of our study in Ephesians, in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not, not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works that no one can boast. It's a free gift. In a free gift or a free gift from our God through Jesus Christ of forgiveness and restoration is given. He says, come. So this invitation also comes out. And it's an invitation to those who are hungry. An invitation to those who are starving, those who are poor, those who are, are needy, those who are weary, those who are heavy laden. And this invitation for all those to come. And I, I think of that, the invitation that we often think of and that I quote often of Christ Jesus from Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It's that same kind of invitation where Jesus Christ says, come. Come to me, all you who, are, are, who labor and are heavy laden, who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am lowly and gentle in heart. So there's call of Christ. Come. Drink. You don't drink just a little bit, but drink a lot. Not just water, but milk and wine. There's fulfilling that's happens here. It's an invitation also for those who are empty-handed. Those of you who don't have anything, come, receive. And we all need that call. None of us come. We all come empty-handed to Christ. We all need Jesus. And it's this call to have everything we need for nutrients for life. And it's not speaking about physical life, but our spiritual life. All that we need true life, true meaning in this life. I think of uh, Jesus as well at the, the well, with the woman at the well. Remember, she, she comes during the, the heat of the day, uh, and normally people would come maybe in, in the cool of the morning or cool of the evening, but she was an outcast, so she had to come during the day, and Jesus speaks to her and offers her living water. John 4, 10, where he's speaking to this woman, and he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This is our Christ, giving out living water. And remember, we talk about him being the true vine. He's the true source of life. Also think of the end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, some of the last verses, Revelation 22, verse 17. It says, the spirit and the bride, Jesus, says, come. Let the one who hears say, hear say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let him who desires take the water of life without price. An offer of true life. An invitation to come. And this is an invitation to enter into a true relationship with the one true God. The living God. It's an invitation to know Him. And not just know Him intellectually. I think if, in Spanish, maybe in your, if you had junior high or high school Spanish, you probably at least learned um, that there's two words in Spanish for know. You have saber and conocer. And saber is to, to know intellectually. So this is more than just knowing. Yes, it begins with knowing God, knowing intellectually His grace and His mercy and His steadfast love and forgiveness, but to conocer, to, to know Him experientially, to know God, to call an invitation, come, drink, enter into relationship with the one true and living God. In the verse 2, it says, Why do you spend money 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to, to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. So it says, stop pursuing life apart from knowing God. Stop it. We can labor and we can toil and we can pursue after all sorts of things that really are just shadows of the things that God desires to give us, the shadows of things that God has created us for. But we can spend all sorts of our life and our effort and our time on things that just walk us away from the Lord God and they leave us empty. And that second part of that verse is, God says, listen diligently to me. Listen diligently. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. So it's that call. I've two thoughts today from, from great thinkers. The first thought is by that of Charles Spurgeon. Um, let me read that. He's a preacher of old. I always quote him, so you're probably familiar with me saying that. Sorry about that, but it's just how it is. And he said, apart from God, there is nothing for us but destruction. We may spend our money and our labor too, but happiness is not to be found by the creature apart from the creator or by a sinner apart from a savior. God has constituted the human mind that it cannot be perfect without him. We need our Lord God, but we can spend all sorts of effort and time on things that are just fleeting and far from the Lord. I think of our study in Ecclesiastes and, and that of King Solomon who had everything the world could offer all the riches of the world, everything that you could think of. And he said, it's all vanity. It's, it's fleeting. It's not what life is made for. Those things delight for a moment, but then they flee from us. Uh, another, another great thinker, I have a, a slide there, is uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Um, these are for my boys. They love Calvin and Hobbes. So, but Calvin says here, getting is better than having. When you get something, it's new and exciting. When you have something, uh, you take it for granted, and it's boring, Hobbes says. But everything gets, you get turns into something you have. Well, that's why you always need to get new things. Well, I feel like I'm in some stockholder's dream. Waste and want. That's my motto. So it's just that, that same idea. You know, We get, and we want to have, but having's just not as good as getting. So... But we often trade that which is good and rich uh, for really what is of no value, of little of, to no value, really things that are poison. Sometimes we talk about how uh, things in this life are, are can't, sometimes sin in this life is like candy-coated candy coated poison. Some of you guys heard uh, two weeks ago, I think it was now, um, our, our sweet little toy poodle dog, um, Jetta, whom we love, um, got herself into a little bit of trouble uh, two weeks ago. We came home. We'd eaten out. It was a day we were celebrating our gotcha day where we celebrate Anthony's adoption day. We were celebrating that. And um, we came home, and we found uh, a plastic bin that had gum in it. Um, it had a gum in it. And um, we, I was like, well, no, really no big deal, right? And Kelly looks up, and she says, well, if it had xylitol in it, one piece of gum will kill a 10-pound dog. And we were like, sure enough, it was the first ingredient on this gum, xylitol. And she'd eaten like 15 pieces, and we're like, oh, my 
goodness. So we run to the vet, and a bunch of money later, um, <laughs> gracious. So she's she, a miracle dog. She's she's alive. But I'm sure as she, if she, as she ate that gum, she's like, man, this is great. It's so good. But she didn't realize it was something that should kill her. If we hadn't found her soon after she ate it, she would be dead. But sometimes we live life that way. We, 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 why, why do we, we just toil and spend our money on that, which is not even bread, but poison for our soul, ultimately. And sometimes we're, again, the, the, that guy treading in water. Rather, tread in water than to get into the boat because I'm just so busy treading water in my life. Jesus says, come. Invitation, come. Drink water, wine, milk, all that you need. Satisfaction in Him. And then verses 3 through 5, we're called to incline our ear to listen to the Word of God and know Him and know life. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you did not know, and a nation that, di- that did not know you shall run to you, because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So we have this word first that begins to incline, incline your ear to me. May that be our prayer all the time. Lord, enable us, help me to incline my ear to, to lean in and listen to your words of life and truth. Think again of the words of Jesus. This is in John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So true, listen in. These are words of life. Listen. And to hear, hear it seems like a simple call to just to hear and incline our ear. It seems pretty simple. And yet it's often our ears are so deaf or so resistant even to listen and to incline our ear. I think that's one of, one of the reasons why in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, one of the prayers of the psalmist is in Psalm 119.36. It says, incline your heart, incline my heart, God. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish game. And they needed to pray. And it's the same thing that we, we too need to pray those things and begin those prayers. Hopefully when you came in, uh, I think a few of you maybe missed it, but um, there's a, a little bookmark. And we've, I've given the, these to you before, but, and you'll probably get them again. But they're just helpful guides if you're thinking, man, how do I even spend time in God's word? And here are some ways of doing that. And one of the prayers that begins as you begin your time in the word is incline my heart. And these are, are modified for, I think John Piper uses these in some of his um, teachings and stuff. It's really helpful just to pray these things before you go into his word. But we need that. And again, what again what's the benefit here? What well, says the benefit is life, that your soul might have life, true life, eternal life, what we've been made for, purpose in this world. And we enter into this everlasting covenant, this everlasting relationship, this unending fellowship with our God, our creator, our loving God. And God made a covenant, we see here with, with King David, that there would be someone on his, that would reign through his line and his lineage, would reign on the throne of God and his kingdom forever. And we know that that's fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. And these words, as 
as Isaiah wrote them, they would be these words of hope for those people who would be in exile. But if you're in exile, you're kind of thinking, will there be an eternal kingdom? Will God restore his people? But indeed he will and has through Christ. But Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah, God is promising restoration. A Messiah king, this suffering servant that he writes about, this Christ, Jesus, will fulfill all the promises that God has made and bring about salvation and restoration, not just for the people of Israel, but for all people. That this Messiah will call and people from other nations will come in. We see that in verse 5. So may we incline our ear to our God who brings about salvation in life. It fulfills His promises. We see them fulfilled in Christ even. And then we see verses 6 and 7. It says, seek to know the Lord. Or we can see that we need to seek to know the Lord. Turn from a life apart from Him and find His forgiveness and compassion. We read verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on Him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon so here, in view of God's mercies and His provision and of salvation and His life, His true eternal life and relationship with Him, through this Messiah King who is Jesus, seek the Lord. Call upon Him. It says to forsake your sinful ways, turn from your sin and yourself and return to God. This is a call of repentance and faith in the one true God. As the audience that Isaiah writes to here is, and it's a call for us as well to turn to the one true God. And trust in Him. Stop seeking for life in all of the wrong places. He is ready and willing to pour out compassion upon us. Abundantly. Pardoning. And then verses 8 and 9. We see that God... We see we can grow to know God. Who through, whose thoughts and ways are better and bigger than ours. The thoughts and ways of our God that we're called to incline into to listen. They're, they're bigger and they're better and they're greater than ours. Let me read verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God calls us to turn from self, to turn to Him. Turn from spending our life on things that, that ultimately lead to ruin and are empty to the one true eternal God whose ways and thoughts are so much greater than ours, are higher than ours. Our God is above time and space and greater than us, and we can incline our ear to Him and listen to Him and be reminded that He is bigger and better than we could ever imagine. Kind of reminds me a little bit about um, growing up, probably Jim will, will remember this, to teaching youth, um, as a youth group, we'd have these um, scavenger hunts called Bigger and Better. I don't know that you do them anymore, but... You start out and you have like maybe a pencil or an eraser, or I don't know, any, just something. And, and as a team, you got to go find something bigger and better. And you go throughout the neighborhood and saying, I'm on a scavenger hunt, getting bigger and better. And now if someone ever comes to my door, I'm, I have this TV that's broken that they're, they're going to get a bigger and better. I say it works a little bit. But so that's, that's probably why we don't do that anymore because youth pastors got all these TVs and they're like, oh, now I got to pay. 20, 30 bucks each TV to get rid of it. But, but the things of God, they're, they're so much bigger and beyond our imagination. I just, I just think of how limited we are. Um, 
in the scope of our thinking. I think if every, even as I get older, every decade, I look back at the decade previous and I think, man, I sure didn't know a whole lot. I've grown a lot. You know, I think in the 30s, looking at my 20s and, and now looking back at my 30s, I'm sure in my 50s, I'll look back at my 40s. I'm like, man, I was so limited and I just have grown so much. But God is beyond all of those things. His ways are higher and greater. We should want to incline to him. And he's one, again, he gives that offer. He says, invites, come, drink. You don't have money. You are empty-handed. Come, life. Listen to my words. And then we see more about God's words. Know that God's words, verse 10 and 11, know that God's words pour into your life. That as they pour in, they will accomplish the work that they are called to, and there will be growth. And, and these words are that, that go out through God's word going throughout the earth, and, but there's practical application to as individuals, but as a church as well. So verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that, go, that, that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So we know that God's word that goes forth, it's will do what it's called to do. As rain and snow go forth, they accomplish the ordained work that God has sent them to bring about growth. As water does, as we water things, there's growth. In our house right now, where Anthony's doing a science project where we got four jars, and they all have um, seeds for peas, and one has, we put orange, not orange juice, but lemon juice and cola and water, and then we're going to see what, what, what brings about growth. But we know that God has used water to bring, bring growth about and it's the same with God's word. As it goes forth, it will accomplish what God desires for it to accomplish in our life and in the world. And that's personally. So we should be those who incline our ear to God and listen and be reminded that God's work will bring about life. And be reminded that is one of those conduits of God's grace given to us brings about life. I think of... In the Old Testament of Ezekiel, in chapter 37, it's a passage you may be familiar with where there's a valley of dry bones. He has this vision of a valley of dry bones, and he speaks the words of God over them, and they form into bodies and have flesh and new life, and God's words spoken over to them bring new life. And this is, again, sort of the, part of the picture that we see here of God's work bringing about what it has been sent out to do. So may we, we be those who stop and, and intake God's word, uh, that it'll do a great work in us, that it'll grow us, uh, that it'll be words of life to us. So may we incline our ear and listen and know that as God, God's word is, is taken in by us as individuals or as a church or as we speak it to others, it'll do its work. So we need to keep taking it in. We need to keep speaking it to other people and be about doing uh, the work of God. So it's a conduit of God's grace, His Word. So I encourage you to read God's Word. And we put in the back, and we've had some reading plans that we've put in the back. And as you think of those reading plans, I see them as guides, um, not as strict rules. And that's how whenever I take one of those reading guides, I know I have no idea exactly when I'll finish that. And, and that's okay. That's 
Because there's sometimes I want to take a break. I'm like, I think I want to study this for a little bit. I just kind of want to take a break. I slow down in this section. I just need to do that. And, and for me, if, if I say I'm going to strictly adhere to this, it just sucks the life out of me. It doesn't work for me at all. And I, I don't want to do it. So um, use those, though. Uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Use it as a guide. It's, it's amazing how God in his providence will use that reading that you have for that day, even if it's on the wrong day again, and he'll use it to speak to you. And God, throughout my walk with him, he's done that time and time again, and it's accomplished its work in me. And we grow to know who God is, and we grow to know how to, to rightfully even fear God. We should read good things as well. I'm reading a book about the fear of God and um, how, how it's not so far from joy as we think it is. Think of Psalm chapter 2, verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling. That means, man, I have something to learn about God, the fear of God, if rejoicing and our God and trembling go together. So I'm learning about this, but we need to learn and grow and have intake good things. We need to seek to even meditate on God's word, to memorize his word, and look for different ways to do it. There's so many ways to to take in God's word and memorize it. You have a lot of, um, I know on your phone, there's different apps of all sorts of memory, memorizing apps and different things. And that might be great for you. But for me, a lot of times, again, I'm, I'm on there trying to memorize. And then I think of, I think of, oh, I wonder where the Broncos are at on hiring a coach. And I'm like, like, oh, nuts. And then it's just so easy. So I have to go back to old school and just have some note cards with some verses on it because then I can be like, okay, I'm not going to be distracted because I always am. It just doesn't work. I've tried it for several years. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I just got to set that aside. I just need paper with words on it. Then that maybe memorize God's word and then listen to God's word. Listen to it. Maybe re- audiobooks are awesome. You can get, if you have a library membership, you can, can get free audiobooks and listen to those or you can listen to sermons online or if you're commuting, put them on your phone, turn your phone up or get a stereo with Bluetooth. And if you need someone to install it, I'll come over. I'll help you install it. Not a problem. But it, it, there's just different ways that we can intake God's word. We need to listen. Then we need to pray and be still before God as well and listen to him. Uh, maybe we need to make lists and write them down again, maybe on your phone. But if you're like me again, I get so distracted write them down. May we be before our God, taking in his word, inclining our ear. And then finally, verses 12 and 13, rejoice. We can rejoice that we will grow to know and love God for all eternity in his good, good kingdom. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And these last two verses, they're not just the end of this chapter, but really they're an end of a whole section in Isaiah, starting in chapter 40, going here. And it's these words that are saying that that creation, and it's going to be restored in this world because of sin. There's thorns, there's suffering, there's brokenness, and there's going to be a full restoration. And we know that the kingdom of our God is eternal, and we will know him more and more 
throughout all eternity and experience Him more deeply. And He makes all things new. Thinking of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's restoring. This restoration begins when we turn from our sins and we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, the one who died for us. And we're restored as He is one who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And He will give us rest. And we enter into that relationship that will be for all eternity. So we should grow to know and love God deeply and grow And that will be that which continues through all eternity. So the invitation comes this morning to all, those who are weary, those who are thirsty. Our God says, come and drink. Drink that and buy that which is free. You don't have money? No problem. It's offered for all of you. This is the salvation of our God, the hope of our God, and the comfort of our God. Come and drink freely. Dear Father God, we thank you so much for your word, both the Old and the New Testament, and your plan of redemption that is laid out. Lord, often we are a people who are are thirsty, who are hungry, who are needy, who are broken. We thank you that an invitation comes out that we can come to you um, empty-handed, and that you promise to forgive and pour out your compassion upon us, and that we might find the life that we are created for. Lord, we confess that often we do pursue things in this life and and labor after and spend money on things that that really will do nothing for us. Lord, help us to to find our life in you and to to turn from those things and forsake those things and, and trust in you. Lord, I pray for any that have yet to trust in you as Lord and Savior even this morning, that they might find new new life in you and forgiveness in you as they turn from their sins and trust in Christ. Lord, we pray for that. We pray for us as we want to be a people who grow to know and love you more. And help us to encourage one another in that, Lord. Help us to spur us on, dear Lord, in that. Lord, help us in our time before you to be still. Lord, help us to have the discipline we need, but may it be a great joy that you just draw us in, that we might know and desire your word. We thank you that it it will accomplish its work in us and in this church and throughout this world as it goes forth. Lord, help us to be a part of your redemptive plan and be those who speak even of the gospel, making Jesus non-ignorable from our doorstep to the ends of the earth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we we respond.